Hello and welcome to the Life Church Audio Podcast. We hope that you find these messages encouraging, life-giving, and ultimately get you closer to Jesus. Enjoy the message. Hi and welcome back to Life Church here in Latin. I'm so glad that you're joining us. This is week 11 of our series called Wake Up the House. And today we're going to wake up the fathers in the house. It's also Father's Day. So happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Now, every father represents God to his family. And that's not an option. It's not like you can choose to do that or not. That is what God has said. And the question I have is, do you represent God rightly or are you representing him wrongly? If those are two words that we could use um, Rightly. So I think the greatest disaster of our present age is fathers who misrepresent God. I remember when I was younger, um, I did a street ministry in South Africa in Sunnyside. And in that area, we would go out at night and we would witness to people who were sleeping on the street. And I remember witnessing to, to young women and young men, but this one specific young guy that I was speaking to, um, and I said to him, uh, young man, do you know that God wants to be your father? And he looked at me and then he answered and he said, my father is the man I hate the most in my life. And I'm like, wow. If you are a dad, that should shake your heart. So instead of him leading, his dad leading him closer to God, his dad actually became a barrier, an obstacle for him to have a relationship with God. Now, most psychologists would agree that a child forms his first impressions of God based on his father. If his father is loving, accessible, compassionate, kind, strong, it is easy for that child to have the correct picture of who God is and who God wants to be for him. But if a father is immoral and unfaithful and bitter and angry and critical and absent absent from the home and, and abusive and irresponsible, that child begins his life with a negative idea of who God is. And it often takes a great amount of work to break down those negative thoughts regarding God for them to have an accurate and a loving relationship with the father. So here is a definition for a Christian father. A Christian father is a man who represents or who presents Christ to his family. If you are looking for a job description as a Christian dad, your job description is the following. Present Christ to your family. Now, there are three main things which we should present to our families that that represents Christ and what Christ is for us. Christ is our priest, he's our prophet, and he's also our king. And that is what we should be for our families. The father has the responsibility in all three of these areas. He's responsible to be the priest of the home, the prophet of the home, and the king of the home. Now, first of all, the father as a priest, allow me to to just clarify some thoughts regarding this, because I'm thinking when I say priest, most of you are thinking of somebody with a black suit and a white collared um, um, shirt on or somebody in a white robe who you go to to repent from your sins. This is not the priest that he is referring to here that we are to represent to our homes. 
A priest is an ambassador, someone who God has chosen to serve his people and represent him. So in the Old Testament, the priest had a job and they, there was basically one word that could easily describe what they had to do. And the word was sacrifice. He was responsible for the sacrifice of animals so that they will pay for the sins of the people. Now, the father in the home, he had the the obligation, he was obligated to offer sacrifices on behalf of his family because that was the role of the priest in the Old Testament. And usually it was an animal sacrifice. Now the good news is in the New Testament, the primary sacrifice which we have to offer as fathers, it's no longer animals, but it's actually intercession. Now intercession in the New Testament means the following, praise and thanksgiving for others. So dads, You have been given the mandate to be a priest over your home and the way you are bringing sacrifices is through praise and thanksgiving. You you know that you help people tremendously in the spirit when you praise God for them, when you are thankful and praising God that they are there. You are actually doing something in the spiritual realm. And I would say to the fathers, take a lot more time. Dads, listen to me, come in here. Take a lot more time thanking God for your family, thanking God for your wife and your children. It doesn't matter what the situation is like right now, but you can change that situation in the spiritual realm with your intercession, with your praise and your thanksgiving for them because you are creating an atmosphere around them that makes it easy for them to succeed. Now let's look at a picture in the Old Testament of somebody, a name that most of you would probably know. It's the man, it's Job. And Job was a model of a priest to his family. We're going to read in Job um, Job 1, we'll read from Job, uh, from verse 1 to verse 5. It says, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And the man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 5,000 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys. Sorry, just 500 yokes of oxen, 500 female donkeys and a very large household. This man was the greatest of all the people in the East. So Job was a great man. Now his sons would go and feast in their house, each on his appointed day, and would send an invite to their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So every week, what will happen, as I understand it, all Job's children would gather together to feast, seven sons and three daughters. Now Job knew what they were doing, and this is what he did. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and he would sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer a burnt offering according to the number of them that were there. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. So Job wanted to make sure that the sacrifice as a priest of his home, the dad, that there was a sacrifice made for his his sons and his daughter's actions. Now, that is the Old Testament pattern of intercession, offering a sacrifice for every one of your children. And when you offered the sacrifice for them, you claimed on their behalf the benefits of the sacrifice. It said, 
the job sent and sanctify them. Now, I really don't know exactly what it means, but I think it means that in some way, Job let them know that he had claimed the benefits of the sacrifice on their behalf. So, so that's the picture of intercession, claiming the benefits of a sacrifice for someone who wasn't there on their behalf. Someone that you've been praying for. And of course for us, the, the sacrifice that, that's been made for us is Jesus Christ. He was the ultimate sacrifice paid for all our sins. So intercession for our children today, fathers, intercession for our children is really in a way claiming the benefit of what Christ has accomplished on the cross by his death on behalf of our children, on behalf of those that are in our home. Now, you might say, if you know the story of Job, um, if you're a little bit cynical, it didn't work out so well. It didn't go so well. Because in one disaster, all his children were wiped out. And this, this um, situation, I think, has caused many people to have a misunderstanding. This is one of those cases where you need to read the Bible carefully. James says the following, he says, consider the patience of Job and the end of the Lord. In other words, don't form any conclusions till you've read the end of the story. Read the whole story. Now, the whole story is, if you know the story, you'll remember after Job had learned a rather hard lesson, he was fully restored and not just fully restored it was greater than what it was before. Um, incidentally, when did the, rest, the restoration happen to Job? When he prayed for his critics. So don't let your critics get you down. Rather start being thankful and praising them and see how they cause you to rise up and step out. So, so let's go back to Job. Job 42, um, 12 says, Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning." For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. He had exactly double the number of livestock he had before the disaster hit him. But the next verse says, he had also seven sons and three daughters. He'd only got the same number of sons and daughters he had before. Why? Why didn't God double them? Now, my understanding from reading the Bible is the following is Job's prayers and sanctification had been answered. And though they died, they were in God's keeping. All seven sons and three daughters were in the place of the righteous dead awaiting the redemption that would come through Jesus Christ. So they were redeemed because of Job's sacrifices, because Job played the role of the priest in the home. So did it matter? You bet it did. It mattered a lot. In fact, it shows how urgent it is, dads, that we need to pray and intercede for our families, for our children. Job had no idea of the disaster that was coming in which his whole family would have been carried off in one moment. But he pray, his prayer prevailed. He was constantly interceding for them as their priest. Now, another example that we find is, is the Passover. And I'm going to go over this one real quickly, which is a tremendous example of a father's ministry as a priest. The Passover dependent was dependent on the fathers. There was no one else 
who could do what the father had to do. It was a mandate to the fathers. So we're going to read in Exodus 12 verse 3, and this is Moses that said, So speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth day of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. So every father... Fathers had a responsibility to to provide a sacrifice for his household. And then the way that sacrifice was made effective was by sprinkling its blood on the outside of the doorpost, on the lentil and on the two sides. In Exodus 12, 22 and 23 says, For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lentil and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your house to strike you. So the only protection in Egypt was the blood of the Passover lamb sprinkled visibly on the outside of the door of the home. And there was only one person who could do the sprinkling of the blood. Who was it? It was mandated to be the father. You see, the well-being of his whole household dependent on the father's faithfulness as a priest. Dads, I want to inspire you. God's calling you to step up and step into the role of a priest for your family. Now the question is, do you think God's principles have changed? No, I don't. I think it's still the same today. We read in the New Testament, um, we have this amazing incident of a boy who has epileptic fits um, and the disciples could not heal this boy. But when Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, the father brought the boy to Jesus. And the father described all of the things that would happen to the boy when the elliptic fits come upon him. He will throw himself into water trying to drown himself. He will throw himself into the fire and he would burn. And then Jesus said to the father, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father responded and he cried out and he said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Now, what really stood out for me in this story, in this incident, was that the boy could not believe for himself. But the Lord held the father accountable to believe for his son. Dads, the Lord had held the father accountable for the belief for his son's healing. And I believe that is a principle. I believe that God holds fathers accountable to have faith for their children. See, the boy was hopeless. He couldn't do anything for himself. He was struggling and suffering from epileptic fits that came upon him. And Jesus said, if you can believe that, it will be done. It will be done. And I wonder how many of us of our fathers, fathers, fathers listening, recognize our responsibility to exercise faith for our families and for our children. God never gives responsibility without authority, nor does he give authority without responsibility. So because of this tremendous responsibility that God has placed upon a father, he gives him the authority to believe for his household. God has given you husbands, fathers, the authority to believe for your household. Whatever your kids might be going through right now, dad, I want to call you to step in faith, 
Step in faith, especially where their faith is weak, especially where their immaturity will affect them and sway them with what culture and social pressure will cause them to believe. But as a dad, I want to say boldly, don't you dare being swayed or being blown by cultural winds of what is right and what is wrong. You stand in the authority and the responsibility that God has given you as the father. It doesn't matter if it's legal now or if it's accepted now. If it's not scriptural, your children need to be protected from it and you need to stand in faith for it. Always in love. I love what Joshua says. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, how did he know his house will serve the Lord? Because he had the authority to believe for his children. Dads, pick up that authority for your children. So fathers, intercede, sacrifice, stand in the gap. Be the priest in your home. And number two, fathers, be the prophets. Now, a prophet, to prophesy means to speak God's word. So there are different levels of this. In Ephesians 6, 4, we read the following. Paul says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Bring them up in training. Now remember, a train is what? A train is, is not the cars behind. It's not the whole thing. A train is simply the machine in front, the one that pulls the cars behind them. The cars cannot go where the machine does not pull them. They have to follow his directing. So when he says, fathers, you are to be the one who who's training your children. So you are to be the one that sets the track for where they are going to go. They are simply going to follow your directing. Whose responsibility is it to train the children? If you're in your house, you can say it. It is the father's responsibility. Who usually does it? The mother's. Is that God's order? No, it's not. Which means we have to wake up the fathers in the house to take up the responsibility to train their children. And you know what happens if, if it's not done this way, if the fathers don't train? Little Johnny grows up and when he's about 11 years old, he says, you know, I want to be a man like my father. But he doesn't go to church. He doesn't read his Bible. He doesn't apply godly principles. So I'm going to follow his train and I'm not going to do it also. So he says, fathers, I, you need to teach and you need to train. But how? How do we train our children, you might ask, as a father? Especially um, in the world that we're living in right now. From my experience as a dad, we try and make every situation in our home, every situation in a kingdom family, in our lives, is an occasion for teaching scriptures. I'm not talking about, you know, quoting a scripture, but godly principles, teaching God's principles to them. We try to use all the situations, every situation that happens in our life. Why? Because God is part of all of it. 
And it's not a fake thing. It is real and authentic. We know that God is part of our lives. So when we speak to our children about what's happening in our lives, we include God in our conversation. Don't confine him simply to your religious settings on Sundays, one day of the week. Talk about God every day, not just Sundays. Don't ever keep your children out of your spiritual life. Bring them into it, not into religion, but into your real relationship with God. If you are going on holiday, for example, pray together when you get into the car. We're going to pray for God's safety and protection. Thank you, God. We're going to have an amazing time. We're going to have an incredible holiday. Thank you for your protection and thank you for your provision that we can go. If one of your children has a problem at school, don't just correct them. Teach them through it. Pray with them about it. And you will see what will happen is if children learn to pray, they'll grow up as believers. They'll grow up as God is real because he has answered our prayers. We have so many testimonies in our lives of things that God has answered. But if we kept quiet about it, our children would not have known that we were praying about it. And what happens then is that becomes an anchor when people are carried away with the tides and with the waves in the world. We have anchors because we've seen God being true to his word but also speak God's blessing and favor that you are currently seeing in your life. If you are wondering, how do I, what do I start with? Start talking about the goodness of God that's already there. Make him part of your conversations. Whenever we get into a difficult situation and my kids stress, I always say, listen, we are God's kids and we have favor. No matter what the situation is, we have favor. Whatever the outcome of the situation is, it's going to be the best outcome it could possibly be. Why? Because we have favor and we have seen that. And my children, they've seen it. Let them remember something that happened in your home when you prayed, when you talked about it, when you are confessing about it, things that God has answered, it will build them up. Now, remind them of God's miracles in your life, of God's mercies, looking back, especially now. You can look back over your life and you can actually sit your kids around, take out a picture or photo and start telling them the story of what God did in that situation. That is being the prophet in your house. You are speaking of God's works and God's word of what he's done and accomplished in your life. Bring your children into it. You don't bless your children by taking all responsibility from them. Include them. Another amazing picture of a father as a prophet, um, the one who represents God to his family is in the Bible. We see Noah as a prophet, a different level of a prophet. It says in Hebrews eleven seven, by faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. So Noah, the righteous man, heard from God about the disaster that was coming. And what did he do? He made preparations and he saved his family. Now, I really believe that we are living in days when we're going to have to be like that. We're going to have to spend time with God and say, God, direct my home. 
just instill in my heart the direction that I should go as a father. What is the next step for my home? Be ready because I can tell you there will be more pandemics. There will be more disasters that's going to sweep the earth. But if you have the insight like Noah had, which God says we do have access to, you'll know how to save your family, how to protect your family, how to act two steps ahead of the rest, how to be prepared, not in fear, but in the confidence that God has a plan for you. So, so you have to be the priest and you have to be the prophet. And lastly, you have to be the king. <laughs> now, we live in an atmosphere where authority is almost a dirty word. You can't really say it. But the fact of the matter is, without authority, all you have is anarchy. So we need authority. And above all, we need the authority of the fathers in the homes. And I did not say the boss and the dictator. I said the father. Remember, dad, you are to agape your wife and your children, meaning you are going to love them unconditionally and you're going to always act out of love. I want to show you something about Abraham, who's the perfect example of the father. So the original name was, his original name was Abram, um, A-B-R-A-M, which in Hebrew is Avram, which means exalted father. Then when God made his second covenant with him, a covenant of grace, eternal covenant with him. He changed his name from Avram to Avraham. So Avram meant high father. Now he changed his name to father of multitudes, father of many nations. Now in those days, a name reflected a person's experiences and character. So when you change a name, you would change it because of what, what's happened. So Abram's name changed to Avraham, father of many nations, he's almost 100 years old and he has no children. Just shows you with how much faith Abraham stepped out and trusted God about what God was going to do in his life. So in Genesis 18, um, it says the following, and then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what, I, what I'm going to do? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after me, that they may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. So why did God choose Abraham? What, what did he see in him that made him eligible for probably the most glorious position that any man can step into? God says, I know him. I know he will command his children and his household after God. They will keep the way of the Lord. So this feature of Abraham's character made him, made him eligible for God's choice. One of the most privileged and prestigious positions in the history of mankind. God could rely on him to command his children and his household. Fathers. Rules are good. They are not bad. There are situations in which rules have to be given and consequences for breaking them have to be followed through on. I tell you one thing, if you want to produce an unhappy child, withhold discipline from him. The most unhappy children are the ones who have no discipline in their lives, no guardrails. And, and because there's no guardrails to protect them, they become the most insecure, 
children because there's no boundaries that give them security. I have seen this in the faces of my own children. Sometimes they will come and ask me and my answer would be no, just because I'm not a no person. I'm a yes first person. But I can see sometimes when I say that now, I can see there's like this weight that's lifted off of them because they really weren't sure about what to do regarding that situation. Make boundaries for your children. Fathers, you are part of the home with the rulemaking, not just your wife. Set up railings. Like, like for them, if, if you are walking, if you can imagine this, you're walking next to this massive mountaintop and there's this, this, this big fall on the side. But there's a guardrail all along the path. You feel fine while there's a railing that keeps you from falling. A railing between you and the fall to infinity and beyond. But the moment you remove that railing, life becomes dangerous. Your kids need railings for protections. The boundaries should be simple, they should be practical, and you should be able to explain them to your children. But more than that, the consequence should be followed through on. And I'm not talking about extreme. I'm talking about using wisdom for every single one of the situations. In our home, there's certain things we don't watch on TV. And, and I will give a reason because we feel this is not good for your moral buildup. What they are showing you in this program, I'm against The Bachelor and Pride Arise. I'm against any of The Bachelor shows, if you wanted to ask me. I'm against the fact that a guy has to take a woman's key out of a, a hat and then go and spend a night with her to decide if he wants to marry or not. That is not how you pick a wife. So in our home, they can't watch The Bachelor. Why? Because it's for their safekeeping. I don't want that to become in my daughter's mind how she's one day going to earn the love of her husband. It's not how she performs in the bedroom. And I think probably the most dangerous thing currently in households right now, which you have to be involved with, is dads, you got to know what's going on on social media. You got to check what they are checking out on social media because they are being influenced. And if you don't have guardrails, I'm telling you, they are being led into a disastrous world. Now, I quickly want to show you one more thing about a person in the Bible um, that's connected to Abraham, and I think this is significant. Lot, his name was Lot. He did a lot of things together with Abraham. And then they came to a place where they were going to separate, go their separate, separate ways. And you know what a perfect gentleman Abraham was and just how mature he was in his relationship with God? He didn't say, Okay, we have to go our separate ways. I'm going to choose Lot. I'm going to choose first. I'm going to choose first. He said, Lot, you choose. Whatever you don't want, I'll take. And he was the senior man, the man with the real knowledge. He didn't grab it. Oh, I'm quickly going to choose before somebody else takes it. Somebody once said, I love this. Somebody said, um, God gives his best to those who leave the choice to him. I'm going to say that again. God gives his best to those who leave the choice to him. Are you willing to do that? Abraham was willing to do that. So, so, so Lot, Lot headed for Sodom. What attracted him there? Basically money and prosperity. Lot was a lover of the world and the things of the world. We read the end of that chapter. We read that Lot became um, famous in Sodom. He became a respected citizen. And then came the time when God was going to bring judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Because of Abraham's intercession, he sent two angels to get Lot out of Sodom. They said, Lot, 
Do you have anybody else here? Sons and daughters, whoever they are, sons and daughters-in-law, warn them because God is going to destroy this city. And Lord went and he talked to his sons-in-laws and they said, God is going, he said, God is going to send judgment. And they laughed at him. So eventually he escaped with his wife and two of his daughters. His wife didn't make it because she was turned into a pillar of salt. We know the story. He left the rest of his family in Sodom. They chose to stay there. What I want to point out to you is the following. Lot, as the father, led his family into Sodom, but he couldn't lead them out again. What a responsibility. Fathers, where are you leading your family? What is it that is motivating you to lead them where you are currently taking, to, taking them? Do you love the world and the things of the world? Or are you hungry and passionate for the things of God? If you are hungry for the things of the world, you are in danger because you are going the way of Lot. Now, I'm going to give you five things on how a dad can fulfill his responsibility as a father. Number one, dads, acknowledge Acknowledge your responsibility. Take your position and say, God, I am a father. I understand at least in a measure of what you expect of me as a father. And I accept my responsibility. Men, take your responsibility now. I, I accept my responsibility before you, God. Number two, humble yourself before God. Acknowledge, God, this job is too big for me. I really can't handle it. It says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Do you want his grace? Humble yourself and say, God, I need you. I need you to be the father that you've called me to be. And thirdly, trust God for his grace. Expect him to give you his grace. Exercise your faith. Number four, the fourth principle, very simple. Be diligent as a father. Give it all you've got. It's not a part-time job. It's not something you do if you're left hand, if you're right-handed like me. It demands all that you have to do it right. And finally, make it the first choice. Make it your first claim for time. You see, the amount of time that you dedicate to something really shows what priority it has in your life. So make sure that you dedicate your time to being a husband first and a father after that. So fathers, on this Father's Day, I wanted to encourage you. And hopefully I've equipped some of you more than what you've been equipped before to be a kingdom father. Because it's time to wake up kingdom fathers in this world. The world needs you. Your church needs you. Your home needs you. Your children, they need you. And you can do it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are the perfect father example to us. That we can learn from you. you Jesus, you sacrificed for us. You're our priest. You're our prophet. And you are our king. And Father, we want to submit our lives to your ways. To, to the way that you do things. And Father, we want to pray for your grace. We want to pray for your strength and your wisdom and that you will help us as fathers to be a representation of Christ to our homes. 
I pray for every father listening to this message. I pray that you will be with them, love them, protect them, guide them. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Life Church audio podcast. If this message spoke to you, go ahead and share it with your friends and family. And let's get the word of God into the lives of more people out there. For more information about us, go to thisislifechurch.com. And remember that we can make a difference by loving people.